his best friend one last gift after all. Thank you, Misha Jarvis. We will see each other again. Lorraine's words echo through the auction hall of Ruletia's 10th World exhibit and auction, but they rattle more so inside the mind of Hopperscotch. What's kind of going on, going on there? Well, Hopper's watching Lorraine being dragged away, a sight he always thought he wanted. It isn't as satisfying under these circumstances. As she calls out, I'll see you again, Misha Jarvis, he feels a twinge of jealousy. He doesn't like that he's feeling that, but beating it back only makes the feelings of shame and being let down worse. If he beats back one negative emotion, another one just gets stronger. So he spends a time just watching that path that they took Lorraine down, um, even when she's out of sight. He just kind of stands there with his hands in his pockets. Um, it's the Tommy Funbuck jacket that he realizes when he puts his hands in his pockets. So he takes that jacket off. So it's just his jacket underneath. And then he takes off the Tommy Funbuck hat and tosses it to the side. Um, and then he's in his clothes, sans hat. He still does not have his hat. And he just kind of stands like that. For a while, thinking his face is neutral. It's that zoned out thinking about stuff face that people get when they're zoned out and thinking about stuff. In your mind, you can't help but but hear the Pythagorean rhythm, uh, your first song with Lorraine replaying in your head, and eventually you realize that it's not actually replaying. The sound is physically uh, chirping away, coming out from uh, something underneath the, the glass shards in front of you. After a few, after he realizes, it takes him longer than it would under normal circumstances, but he kind of turns down and then moves the rebel aside with his foot and sees this replica cubo with like a mini harmonic calculator built inside. And he's thinking, how did she remember this? This was never, did she steal the sheet music? He's just like so bewildered by this existing at all. And he doesn't want the cubo itself. Is there a way he could disconnect the small harmonic calculator? Yeah, if you pop it open, there is literally nothing inside than the harmonic calculator and like a little projector that says that. Oh, okay. Um, he's gonna take that. In his left jacket pocket is his other harmonic calculator. They both won't fit in one pocket, so he puts it in his right pocket, but before he does that, he removes a letter that he keeps there and then puts the second harmonic calculator in it. Um, and then he kind of opens up the letter, and it is the original Lorraine letter that he received at age 12 that was like, I'm gonna call you Hopper. Oh my god. That has been in his pocket this whole time. He's gonna look at it for a second and then start to rip it. As soon as the rip gets to the words on it, though, he goes, ah, and then refolds it up really gently and then puts it in his side pocket. So congratulations. So everybody, congratulations are in order. We beat Rolletia. Hooray! Oh my god. So um, we've got a lot of things to resolve, a lot of exposition to get through. Uh, before we do that, just everybody, uh, if anyone wants to take recovery rolls up to their, I think it's 10 hour recovery roll, right? I am at full health. <laughs> <laughs> you. Great. You didn't even spend any effort on that? It was effortless defeating Lorraine? Great. Ah, yeah, that's <laughs> great. Uh, healing is D6 plus your level, right? D6 plus your tier. Uh, I'll let you know when you all get together, but you don't have to do this separately. So uh, we're going to start with Misha's conversation with Kubo. So how do you, resp- how do you respond when Kubo says, oh, 
Jarvis is my name. Uh, well, Misha doesn't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> I mean, that's just completely out of left field. They were about to do other things. I had things to do today. Now my <laughs> backstory exposition is coming up. Exactly. Yeah, no, they just wanted to go to, to see how Chuck was doing. And they wanted to just like, I don't know, do other things. But no, now they have forgotten about all of these other things. And they are just staring at Cubo. Please, explain yourself. Please, elaborate. Just a rather very intelligent system. Or the Jarvis line, created by Dr. Cygnus Collodi. Started year Y74, and in uh, in our time we, we count backwards, so Y74 means 74 years ago. Discontinued year Y45. Revived upon Collodi's expiration year Y12. The Jarvis line was comprised of advanced androids that pursued and safeguarded information, each bearing an acronym related to their task. For example, the Mechanically Automated Research and Study Life Form, or Marshall Jarvis. Oh no. A mining robot designed to seek out and catalog compositional data on Numenera. Oh no. The Incalculable Quorum of Beneficial Outputs, or Cubo. A friendly assistant, that's me, designed to process information into an understandable format. The machine and suit of human armor, or Misha, a mathematical culmination of the human form, assigned to grasp the vast complexity of humanity. Collodi spent a collective 163,455 hours designing nine Jarvis prototypes. None of these prototypes were put into production, and the Jarvis line went into hiatus in year Y45 after a string of self-reported moral and technical failures. <clears throat> in year Y12, Jetco assumed the unofficial rights to Collodi's designs. Jetco found the designs too expensive and removed parts of the robotics deemed unnecessary, such as the ethics and philosophy subroutine in the scientifically focused Marshall line and all links to information related to Jarvis and Collodi in all lines. On a sidebar, if I am allowed to make one, this does seem unwise, as I did have to devote 58% of my processing power to reform my link to the Jarvis and Collodi files in my database. Of the Jarvis lines, eight of the prototypes were put into full production. The ninth was not. The designs for the Misha Jarvis prototype were found by Jetco to be incomplete, despite logs reporting on a functioning prototype. However, as Jetco had already designed the shells for these robots, they uploaded their own programming into the Misha line shells, using them as performers, door guards, and any other position that required a perfectly sculpted, friendly face. The status of the Misha Jarvis prototype has been officially listed as not created, and the designs, upon further inspection, have been deemed impossible to complete with current technological knowledge. Would you like me to update the information about your existence in my database? <clears throat> um, I have one question. When when Hugo mentions Colodi, does Misha like does Misha recognize that name? You would recognize you will because you've gotten that moment from underneath where you didn't have much of your memories. It's been coming back in waves, and you do remember yeah. seeing the name Colodi and feeling rage and anger and, and like pain and hurt. Mm. Uh, well, uh, okay, Misha's gonna say, no, no, that's, uh, that's okay, Cubo, you don't need to update anything. In fact, I would rather you don't. What, do you have any additional information on the Misha Jarvis line? Processing. 
accessing the logs on multiple robot files, pulling up Marshall. And you see a handful of pap- hand-drawn papers get projected out from Kubo. No, no, I, I, I do not want to see Marshall's design or anything. I, I would rather not associate that with the Jarvis line. I, I just want to know more about the Misha Jarvis. I understand. Pulling up the Misha files. And you see a stack of papers that fills like, you know, a small corner of the wall with the stuff about Marshall. And suddenly, everywhere, literally every floor and ceiling and walls of the room is filled with projected images of hand-drawn, scribbled out, redacted notes on the Misha Jarvis robot. And Cuba will say, Colody considered the Misha Jarvis line, which he eventually just started calling Misha, as the pinnacle of his creation. And as he does that, you can see a little model in front of you and it's labeled by colors and it's identical to you except both eyes are gray his aspirations had included the acquisition of skills and the relentless pursuit of human knowledge however past the shell his designs never seemed to be completed you mentioned something about Claudie's interruption of some sort. It, it appears as if the line, uh, my line, was interrupted in its design. Is that correct? On reports that I can find, that information is inaccurate. Claudie's expiration was in year Y12. However, his notes about the Misha Jarvis model do correlate with his discontinuation of the Jarvis line in year Y45, as well as his logs recording a string of moral and technical failures. So what, what you're saying is that he died way, way after it was like yeah. discontinued. Uh, he died 12 years ago and he discontinued the line 45 years ago. So it was discontinued, it shows that. Yeah. Okay. What are the reasons, again, for its discontinuation? It said something about ethical failures? I am just confused. I, I am not discontinued. Searching. Records specifically alluding to the failures cannot be found. However, there is one statement that appears odd, as Kalodi's logs became less interested once he started referring to a unspecified her. Notes state that she is watching, she will know, and if he keeps any more records, she will find them and use them against him. And so he must not keep records, or she will bring all of his work to ruin. She? But you have no information on who this person is. I have found logs of 11 dozen individuals who have been assigned she, her pronouns. Of the period in which Kalodis refused to specify information, only one name has been found. Ein. Ein? What, what does this... Is this an acronym? Is this a name? Is there more information about this person? Searching. No more information can be found. Really? All right. I, I, I have two more questions for you, Kubo. I do apologize for taking your time, but I, I hope you understand this is very important for me. I, um, the first one of when, which is, what were the circumstances surrounding Claudie's expiration? I just want to know, was it just common human old age? Was there any successors to his work besides this person? This Is, is this Ein person related to, to, to his, to his expiration date? Jetco has purged that information from my database. <laughs> <sighs> I see. I have one final question. I um, I mean, as they say that they're going to approach the whatever prototype is like projecting of the other Misha, uh, and they're going to look at Cubo and say, is there any records of an android like me? Meaning, I see that these prototypes have, well, 
their their design in their eye coloration is both gray, but I recognize that I am one of these, but I am also different from all of the ones I've seen. And then they're gonna kind of take their hair off their left eye and say, is there any record of an android, of a, of a Misha Jarvis line that has two colored eyes like me? There are only records related to one Misha Jarvis prototype. And from our information, Kalodi has never made more than one master model. That is certainly strange. Thank you, Kubo. I uh, I have a lot of, of other questions, but I don't think you will be able to answer them. I, I, I recognize that you are limited on your ability to answer these informations, but I certainly appreciate you, you sharing it with me. It, it really has been useful. Of course. Misha Jarvis, may I be allowed to ask you a question? Certainly. I believe it's only fair after I have asked so many questions of you. You have spent your time understanding humanity. It appears that I have been discarded from my originally designed purpose. Knowing humanity, what should I do? Well, you can do whatever you want, really. I like to explore new things about humanity and, and the world in general, and that has been really fulfilling to me. But I've also grown to understand that it's also fun to do it with other people, with other humans. It's, it's a better way to learn the world. So you could always, if you wanted, join us. Processing. I have found that my enjoyment comes from sharing information with individuals who might need it. I will join you and your companions. Yes, you, you are more than welcome to do that, Kubo. We promise not to steal you. <laughs> and you are free to leave whenever you want. We won't stop you from doing what you want. I appreciate that. As I cannot currently leave with my functionality, I will practice mobility. And uh, as Misha looks, you can see the thing, uh, the images start to kind of swirl around you a little bit. Or they like rock a little bit. Uh, and we can see that Kubo is just rocking himself back and forth to practice rolling. And that is Misha and Kubo. So now, now a question, we've resolved Kubo and we've resolved most of the things that have been going on, but there was one big thing that we haven't resolved yet. And that's, that's Argent. Do, do any of you look into, uh, into what the fuck was going on with Argent? Hop does. Okay. So Hop, I'm going to say you probably, you probably talked to a couple of the, uh, of the revolutionary folks, yeah. probably Viv and, and, and baby Jason. And, uh, they, uh, they eventually grab you and, and they take you down to a back room. And in the room, you can see a bunch of really small boxes labeled fragile and they're kind of stacked up in the room. Uh, and as you're coming in, you can see a couple of, uh, a couple of human sized black bags being dragged out of the room and and baby jason is looking really really sick and really bad and viv's just like it'll be okay baby jason they're, they're just gonna sleep for a while and she's gonna walk over to you and she's gonna say so uh so you said you were looking for a thing called argent right yeah yeah uh i saw the demonstration but uh I guess I wanted to know more about it. I mean, is that the only one that exists? Is it mass produced? Well, I've got good news for you. Do you want the good news first or the bad news? Uh, the good news, I guess. Well, the good news is that there are folks who know how to make Argent. The bad news is that they're dead. And she looks over at baby Jason and looks back, sleeping. I was looking for Argent, but baby Jason was the one who found it. And baby Jason is like, yeah, yeah, no, I found it. It's right here. And he he slams the top left box and you can see they're all labeled with each of the exhibits and you can see all the boxes. And he's like, it was really hard to find because, you know, you said it was super big. But then I found out that these boxes like they're big boxes and they shrink to fit their exhibits inside of them. And uh, you see that all the uh, the the space beneath all the boxes are labeled. And there's one that says Argent and the box is missing. 
And then it hits you. The workers behind Argent are dead. The guards are missing. Argent is gone. Your mind flashes back to the Jagged Dream's paste-it note. You realize it said, shopping list, easy life, the Argent, and this thing, this thing being the Atlas. It never said Cubo. And you go through all the things the Jagged Dream got. They got the Breitnir battery from Tommy Fumbuck's Easy Life pod. They tried to steal the Atlas page from you. If Argent is gone, the reason they drew a correlation between Argent and Cubo wasn't because they cared about Cubo, but because they needed to know when Argent was going to be taken down, which just so happened to correlate with the time Cubo went up to auction. It was also mentioned that because Tommy Funbuck didn't trust his workers, he was going to have a higher guard present when the workers were going to be putting the exhibits up. One could interpret from that that when the workers bring it down, there also had to be a higher guard present. And since the Jagged Dream was already part of the guard, it was a pretty simple thing for them to wait as the workers packed up Argent, put it into a small box, carried it out, and then got gunned down by all the Jagged Dream soldiers disguised as guards. Every time I think Hop can't get any lower, he, as he comes to this realization, staring at where the Argent box should be, he'll just quietly say, thanks for telling me, Jason. Uh, I really appreciate it. All right. So um, we have Misha has learned a lot more about their past. Hop has realized he's been bamboozled. Again, uh, I think at this point, uh, you all kind of get together. Uh, you realize, you find out that uh, Mauve and Everett had helped join the revolution a little bit. So they they meet up with you. Shock has gotten a bit of a talking to about Lowell. Like just, we don't need to play it through because it was just a motherly like, you're concerning me so much. Like you got to tell me when you're going into dangerous situations like that so I can have your back. We can move through it. More, more fun banter and bonding occurs. So, uh, Hop, Misha, Ellie, Shock, Lowell, Cubo, and then Mauve. You all get together and then and, and you've recovered, I'm assuming, from the rubble. You've recovered that tri stand that contained all the gifts Lorraine had promised for you. Mm-hmm. And when you all get back together, uh, what is it like? Because you've all kind of been off doing your own thing. So you pick it up and you all get together. I do want to really briefly speak to Hop. And we don't have to like walk away or anything. Just in like a lower voice. She's going to be like, where's your hat? I lost it. That's all he says. I lost it. She's gonna, like, pull him into a really, really short, rough hug, one pat on the back, and then, like, edge away a little bit and just be like, hat's my thing anyway. Hopper smiles at that, but then doesn't say anything else. So, yeah, I mean, if Misha is interested, Shock has still got, like, this horrible gash in her shoulder. <laughs> oh, no! Robe soaked with blood. Like, I'm, I assume the bleeding has stopped now. Like, they haven't just been bleeding out for 20 minutes or however long this is, but... Hey, Misha, have you seen a bloody arm before? Look how cool this is. <laughs> no, no, that's just, like, if Ari wants to react to that, that's a that's what Shock looks like right now. I still like to believe that Shock a little bit was like, wow, maybe Misha will find this cool. Look, I'm so cool. So, uh... Is Misha still wearing the spandex right now? <laughs> yes. Okay. Because I assume I haven't gotten back for my clothes. Yeah, so so <laughs> Shock is also going to notice that. Uh, and blush and look away and like look back again and then look away again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um Misha is certainly going to notice that blushing. <laughs> 
and then look at the gash and say, "This was this a product of the combat, or or, or is this something else?" I, 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 I seem to be noticing some symptoms on you. And... Some symptoms. No, no, we we got into a we got into a combat. It was it was regular Bob from from Lorraine's agency. We 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 stopped him. Good. I. You were pretty cool out there too. And then Misha is going to, um, if if they could blush, they would blush at that part. Um, they would like look away a little bit from shock. Well, uh, I bet you were really cool too, even though I couldn't see it. I, I but I also noticed your your face is red again, as from before. Oh, <laughs> that's all he says. <laughs> <laughs> and as you're having this moment, uh, we notice uh, Mauve, after all this hellhole, finally found all of you. And she just walks up and she's like, starting a revolution, running head for- first into a Rorothic's mouth and confronting Lorraine Styles in front of the most powerful of Rulettia. Well, I'm real proud of all you kids. And she turns over to Ellie and ma'am. <laughs> Ellie's gonna punch her on the shoulder. Not like hard. Well, like a little hard because it's Ellie, but like like a friendly punch. <laughs> um, I hate to ask this after such a strong victory, but we're uh we're still out of granulated Azure. Were you able able to find it anywhere? Got it off a body. We're gonna give it to her. Not the granulated, just the tripod. Oh. She's gonna hold it and be like, I Ellie Badge, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what you think granulated Azure is, but this is neither granulated nor Azure. We've got to feed it the, the coupons, and it'll give us what we were promised. Oh! <laughs> Who has the coupons? Do we all have our own coupons? I think you all have your own. Okay. Maul feeds in hers, uh, and, and out, like, water that dripped into, like, a, a shape. It's, like, upside, like, the water drips upside down, like a liquid version of this pl- jar of pliable azure uh, drips out and takes form uh, on top of this, like, tri, uh, tri-footed speaker. And then it just pops into existence, and there's a jar, and she catches it and then and, and, and pockets it. Who else puts in their coupons? Yeah, I'll put in my coupon. All right, you put in the thing, and you pull out a small, adorable locket. I, I put mine. All right, Misha, you put yours in, and even in a liquid form, you can hear this like and then just these like very like jet black uh, wingtips pop out, and these are just like really fancy, like they're a mix between like a formal wingtip shoes and like tap dancing shoes, and you take them, and, and they will make they make just uh, the most like interesting tip tap sound. They put them on immediately. <laughs> I'll put it in mine. Out pops the Macy Day hat pin. And like the advertisement said, it does not have sentience, but it does have googly eyes and it absolutely pricks your fingers when you take it out. I'm gonna stick it in my hat. You hear the little thimble robot you put in there like, <laughs> like whir in like alarm and then it adjusts itself when you put in the, the pin. Can I pat it? You can. <laughs> it has like a little like uh, calming down whistle. Guys, at some point I'm gonna have to name that thing. Yes. Please do. Pop, do you put in your coupon? He hesitates, but he does. You would swear the sun shines out of this, the historical adventure journal. It includes all the greatest, most boring adventurers that have ever crossed throughout the Steadfast, including- Most boring adventurers? Is that what you just said? Yes, including Jameson Hopper. Oh, Jameson was boring. (laughs) Hallie, Hopper, 
The book, it's very dry. It is very hard to read. God damn it. And you love it. Yeah, he does. It is the perfect gift, which funnily enough, is my last Leslie Nope reference for Lorraine Styles. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. One bullet left. How dare you? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> he's gonna flip through it to find out that it's very dry and very wonderful. And then he's going to take um, the letter that he put back in his side pocket earlier, and then he's going to stick it in the book like a bookmark. Oh my god, why? Oh. You're just killing us, Allie. I'm just dead inside. <laughs> Who has the coupon for the Jagged Dream dossier? I was just going to say you stick it in. I, I oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to finally you stick in the dossier, and I'm going to put, I'm going to send some music to you all. As you learn back in Charmande, the Jagged Dream is split into three cells, and each cell focuses on one of the cult's main ideals. Patience, action, and strife. Members of each cell receive an imprint on their bodies, and these imprint tattoos allow them to influence a specific type of life. And the simpler the life, the greater the influence. The first one you see is patience, with the ideal that great change requires great preparation. The imprint or tattoo that you see is a clock with clearly visible gears, and members of this cell have the ability to exert influence over mechanical life. So for a simpler kind of mechanical life, a simple machine like a, like an automated lever, like a, a lever with a motor on it, uh, they could exert total control, which is why back in Charmande they were able to exert influence over the gears of that great machine. A semi-sentient machine they might be able to suggest ideas to, and a fully sentient machine, something like Cubo, they can't make big changes but can potentially influence their emotions. The leader of this cell is Vera Leani. She's a master infiltrator who spent years gaining the trust of Queen Armalu of Charmande. Her tattoo is on the back of a prosthetic hand. This hand is stronger than most under most circumstances, but when Vera is under extreme duress, it can take energy from the rest of her body, including her mind, clouding her judgment but creating a giant fist that she can use to basically smash. The second cell is the cell of action, the ideal that one must not hesitate when things must be done. The tattoo you see here is a black raptor swooping downwards, and members of this cell can influence organic life. The leader of the cell is Arius Fola, and by Arius you see a drawing of the blue fairy, and suddenly you understand why she was able to exert control over the, those beetles, since they were simple enough for her to exert complete control over. Arius's tattoo covers her entire back, with the wings of the raptor matching up with the blue beetle wings that extend from her back. Arius believes that words only serve to postpone action, and as a result, she's sewn her lips shut by a thin blue thread. And finally, you encounter the cell you haven't met yet. You encounter Strife, the ideal, the pinnacle ideal of the Jagged Dream, that through violence comes change. And Strife has a tattoo of a small knife with a serrated blade. And the type of life it can influence is something you haven't heard of before. It's called Stratic Life. Stratic life is life from the data sphere itself, a consciousness without form layered on top of the rest. Something like this might be the nano spirits that Shock uh, collaborates with. They're not organic, they're not mechanical, but they are something else. And that kind of life is called Stratic. The leader of Strife is named Ezra. You don't get a last name for Ezra, and you don't get a whole lot of information at all. All you learn is that Ezra was an adept warrior forged by Strife. 
They're impulsive, secretive, and self-serving. And unlike the other two, unlike Vera and Arius, it's not known if Ezra even really believes in the Jagged Dream's cause. That doesn't make them any less dangerous, though. Five years ago, Ezra facilitated the coup of Encore, a war where Queen Anastasia Brackleberry regained her throne, but at the cost of massive destabilization to her region. The Strife Cell simultaneously raised the fields of the war-forging Paranthian Empire, hoping the Empire would attempt to take over Anquan's resources. The war between the Paranthian Empire and Anquan never did happen, but it didn't have to. The coup of Anquan ultimately was practice. War between Charmandi and Kia's endgame. And if they were able to almost create war with a third of their resources, there's no doubt they could do it with all three cells working together. And with that, you finally make it to the Jagged Dream's plan. You see that the Jagged Dream had notes on Tommy Funbook, and it looks like they discovered his secret about regeneration before you did. You also see the parts that were mentioned in the pasted note, with a few additions. So you see schematics for the Breitnir battery, you see Argent, you see the Atlas, and you also see actual design documents for the Easy Life brand itself. It looks like they had figured out how to create the Easy Life brand, so they didn't need to steal anything. The note says that currently Jagged Dream members from across the Steadfast are implanting Easy Life brands on hundreds of thousands of bodies, using parties, secret meetings, whatever they can to get this brand on whomever they can. And in one week, one week exactly, a message will be broadcast throughout the data sphere, activating the brands and funneling the energy, the life from the wearers into the Breitnir battery which will convert that energy into something Argent can use. Hundreds of thousands of people will die, and the Jagged Dream will have the power to pull whatever horror they want from whatever part of time. Lorraine doesn't know what they're planning on pulling, but she was able to isolate the one thing that could broadcast a message so far across the datasphere. And that's when you see, among all this doom and gloom, a brightly colored advertisement for something called Semester at Sky, presented by the University of Key. Semester at Sky is a selective program that'll take place on the luxury airship, the Prodigious. The Prodigious is a massive dirigible built on the skeleton of a piece of Numenera that can communicate with the datasphere itself. It uses this datasphere connection for navigation, for internal and external communication, for timers when they start the ovens for breakfast. Everything about this ship is relayed through this powerful datasphere, uh, Numenera. But as cool and as neat as it is, deep down, you know what the prodigious is. It's nothing more than a titanic show of wealth and military power. God damn you. We need to stop this, is all shock will say. But also, god damn you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and with everyone looking over your shoulder, like Lowell's there, Mauve's there, Mauve suddenly like bursts out, Huh, that's odd. A professor said she was going to be a part of that thing. Uh, the Prodigious wasn't supposed to set sail for another year. Key must be really on edge after everything that's happened in Charmande. They really need to show that they're powerful, and that is dangerous. So, if we found the professor then, would she be able to get us inside? Help us stop what's going on. And we could talk to her about Aegon, too. Maybe learn about the Apocrita. Well, yeah, no, that sounds... that sounds perfect, Shock. I know the professor, I know that even if this thing is leaving a year early, she ain't going to pass up the opportunity to do it. If you can get on that boat, you can find the professor. And vice versa, if you can find the professor, you can get on the boat. You know, it's really whatever happens first. Well, then... I don't like boats. Hmm. Well, it's really more of an airship. Uh, a boat is kind of just a general term I'm using. It's more of a, like a flying boat in the air. Worse. I guess we have no time to lose. 
All roads lead to Key right now. We better go get this this steel to Mako then. All right, let's get going. Be- before we do this, I would request that I can change into my proper vestment, uh, as this is quite uncomfortable. And at that point, Mauve looks over to you the first time, and she ju- you just hear her say, Misha Jarvis. <laughs> yes, I think we can arrange that. So you you all get ready uh, to go back to the car, and Misha goes ready to get their clothes. And as you do, uh, Ellie, you turn over and you see Zoe is kind of looking at you. But it's different from last time. She's still standing there, her arms crossed, but this time they're crossed uh, across what looks like a, a giant, like twice as big snowboard, which is what she used, uh, which is her, her flying device that she used to fly in June to save you. Well try to save you from regular Bob. You can also see that she hasn't put her hair back in a bow at this point. It's not all out, but it is kind of in a much in a much looser shape. Uh, it looks like this time around, she's kept it in kind of a loose, uh, loose circular bun on top of her head, just like that spirals up like a little bit of an ice cream cone. And she, you can see she's just kind of looking at you and, and, and she's been listening in and she walks up and she's like, well, I guess that means you got to go on, on your adventure now, doesn't that? You did a good job. Yeah. Thanks for letting me help. I that meant a lot to me that that I was able to help and that I'm really glad I got to meet my mother if only for one day. You you know, Zoe, with your hair like that, you you remind me a lot of your dad. I messed up a lot when I met you, but you're my kid. And if you wanna come along, you'd be a good member of the team. And her face and her eyes and her everything just brightens up and she just squeaks out, You mean you want me to go on adventures with you? Yeah, Zoe. However, there will be a couple of rules. Your voice is cut off as just like five book bags are slammed into your arms. And she's like, all right, well, June had me pack these ahead of time. Um, she also gave me this and you can see she just has a fucking fountain of money in her hands, which is going to equate to uh, 30 shins for each of you. <laughs> so each of you will get 30 shins. And she's like, uh, June gave me gave me all of Steven's earnings. I, I decided to leave Steven with June just to keep her some company. And in the distance, you can just hear a, uh, <laughs> but she said she really wanted me to have, have what was, was, uh, she wanted me to, to have a little bit of spending money before I go. So, um, and she just gets really excited. And then she, she skips off. Uh, she just like hops over to ever and starts excitedly gesturing to him. And he's just like scoffing a little bit. Like, it's not a big deal, but you can see that like his energy is picked up too, that he has acquired uh, a new friend. <laughs> so you make your way down from the tower in the center of Ruletia. There's nothing left of Tommy Funbuck's empire other than a literal and metaphorical puddle. A, a new a new fire has been lit in the heart of Ruletia. And for the first time as you leave a city, you're not greeted with the chilling winds of a cloud that has taken it away or the screaming yells of Gendarmi soldiers determined to kill you. For the first time, you're met with sounds of joy and sounds of cheer. And Ruletia's cheers echo across all of the steadfast, skimming the land and climbing the clouds skyward. And alongside those cheers, we too climb higher and higher. First, we see the fires of Ruletia, burning bright with revolution. 
Then we see the tangled hairs of the surrounding hillside. We watch towns living on unaware of Rulettia's liberation, with no real understanding of the ways in which their world has been irreparably changed. A few hundred feet higher and a small bump in the skyline graces our vision, marking the powerful city of Charmande, although from here it just looks quaint. And yet still we keep climbing and climbing until the colors of the countryside fade into the brightness of the sky, which then disappears into a violent, glassy wind. The sound comes first. A harsh whistle of tumbling glass, followed by the light footsteps of hundreds of thousands of spiders. But soon enough, we do see the shards. Black obsidian glass tiles magnetized to their siblings and forming a sputtering, spiraling cloud. We brush ourselves through that storm, past the cutting winds and starved arachnids, into a large cracked dome. And in the center of this dome, beneath the silencing shadow, stands the image of a cobblestone courtyard with a towering, motionless knight keeping watch by the fountain in its center. In this place, the turmoil of the outside world is muted, its chaos and unpredictability nothing more than muffled thoughts. In this place, time stands still. And then, the knight turns. The Apocrita moves. Hey, it's Kyle. Thanks so much for listening to Quest Friends Chapter 3, Questionable Measures. We'll be back in two weeks with a mini arc going through Ellie's memories. And then from there, we'll be going on to our next full arc. So be sure to sign up for updates at the bottom of questfriendspodcast.com or follow us on social media for updates on all of that. Our intro song is Friends by Miracle of Sound.